Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. And those who are going to Little Worship can be dismissed at this time. Um, and as, as they're heading out, I invite you to open your Bibles, or of course they're in your bulletin, Luke chapter 19, uh, verses 11 through 27. Uh, hey, if, if um, you're visiting with us, uh, not a member, so glad you're here. Um, you're, you're finding us really kind of, we're deep into Luke. We've been going through Luke for what, almost two years now. Um, we're to Luke part 78 uh, this morning talking about uh, what does it mean to live uh, as, as a follower of Christ. Um, so uh, a few things before we, we read our, our scripture this morning just to really set the stage. Uh, four things. First, as you see right there at the beginning of the passage, uh, it begins, verse 11, as they heard these things, Jesus began to tell a parable. Okay, well, what things did they hear? What's, what's going on? Because we've kind of, you know, we've kind of done this a little out of sync the last few weeks. So to better understand this passage, we have to remember Jesus' interaction with Zacchaeus. Remember, Zacchaeus, of course, scum of the earth, yet Jesus sought the scum of the earth, and he saved him. And the gospel transformed every aspect of Zacchaeus' life, even the aspect that was the most important to him, uh, his wallet. And so in response to Jesus, Zacchaeus started doing other things with his money, uh, like investing it in mercy uh, and restoration. And so apparently, Jesus changes how we do life. And the people who saw this Zacchaeus so changed were a little bothered by it. And so when they saw that, it, it kind of forced the question, well, if that's what happens when the gospel comes home, then how, how then shall we live as Jesus' followers? Like, how do we invest what's been given to us, what are we making of our lives in Christ? Have you ever had maybe your parent or your grandparent come up to you in your teen years like, boy, girl, what are you making of your life? What are we making of our lives in Christ? And so seeing, seeing Zacchaeus is sobering, right? Because we, we live in a world in which his response to Jesus is not our definition of success uh, nor significance. Like all the while, we seem to lack the joy that Zacchaeus possessed. You know, I, look, I, I talked to many members of our church, and uh, surprise, we are busy, busy. We are a very busy congregation. And, and to be honest, that's one of the reasons why we haven't done dinner trade in quite a while is because uh, groups weren't able to meet because we are so busy. But could it be possible, just possible that all of the busyness may really just be a cover-up for the lack of significance, uh, the lack of fulfilling purpose uh, in lives, right? We, we are very busy, but what are we doing of eternal worth? Uh, and seriously, like, I mean, why do we work? Um, you know, some, we, we may work so that we can afford to buy groceries so that we can have energy to go work more. And wh like, why are we working? Why do we play ball? Why, why do we do what we do? Because the secular worldview would say, look, you only live once, <laughs> so, so live it up and live it up for your personal pleasure, but the Jesus way is different. 
you have this, this voice that says, we do all things before the face of our God. So what are we living for? That's the first thing. S- second, this, this parable is just a master class in how Jesus taught. So amazing. Uh, it's like Jesus is holding the newspaper in one hand, and I guess he is the Bible, the Bible in the other. Uh, and when he said, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return, everybody listening knew exactly what he was talking about. Because this is exactly what had just happened. Remember, Herod the great son, Archelaus, thought that he deserved the title king. And so he left Israel and he went to Rome to go see Caesar so that Caesar would give him the title king. And Israel, surprise, surprise, didn't want him to be king. So Israel sent a coalition to Rome to protest Archelaus' kingship. And so it's, it's amazing that Jesus took something every single person there would have known about, and yet he flipped it on its head to teach about his kingdom. And so for, for those who teach, uh, this is just like an awesome lesson in how to engage. Um, third, uh, you know, it's very common for people to think that, um, that this parable is the same parable as uh, the parable of the talents. Uh, but they are totally different teachings, totally different application. In the parable of the talents, each servant received a different amount of, of talent, right? A different amount and just like today, and we've been learning this in our Ephesians Sunday school, right? God's people, like we, we, we all have gifts and abilities that we're called to steward, but we don't all have the same types uh, nor the same amount, right? Um, but in this parable, each servant was given the exact same thing. There's something that we all get the exact same equal share of. Okay, so what is the, the mina that Jesus is going to be teaching us about? The one thing all of God's people are entrusted with is the gospel. That's what he's calling us in this parable to invest and to live out of and to share. Okay? Which then brings us then to the fourth uh, helpful reminder. Um, this is a parable, uh, not an allegory, which means not everything in the story has a direct spiritual principle. And, and so we have to be careful, uh, at least I, I have to, like, not to lose the big picture of Jesus' teaching here. Like, we can't get hung up wondering, okay, what happened to the other seven servants? Are they, like, in purgatory or something? Um, And what's the deal with all these cities? Are we going to rule cities in the new heavens and the new earth? (laughs) Like, what's the theology on that? Okay, none of that's the main point, uh, nor the purpose of this parable. Here's the point, here's the purpose. Jesus is saying he's the king who has gone away. Uh, Now, one day he's going to return, but until he returns, he has left his people with a task. He's left us with a purpose. And so the question isn't, okay, when will Jesus return? (laughs) The question is, how do we live as his followers until he returns or until he calls us home? And so with all that, this is God's very good word to us. Luke 19, starting in verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Jesus said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and they sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to reign over us. And when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him. 
that he might know what they had done, uh, or what they had gained by doing business. So the first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I have kept away, kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. Well, the king said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Yet then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you, to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Well, even with that bombshell, this is God's good word given to you because he loves you. Let's pray. Father, as we walk through this, we ask that just for this next little bit, Lord, you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Um, Lord, do work with our heart as we walk through this parable. Holy Spirit, come, illuminate, make clear this text to our hearts, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. William Barclay said, he said, there, there are two great days in a person's life. He says, it's the day we are born and the day we discover why, why you were born. You know, when God created man, he didn't just breathe life into them and then walk off the scene. No, he created them, breathed life into them, but then he also gave man and woman a task, right, a, a purpose, tend the garden to, to subdue the earth and to fill the whole earth with the glory of God. And so when Jesus also ascended into heaven, he gave his disciples, his people, a task, right? It was go forth, right? Bring the gospel message to the ends of the earth. Well, uh, if you're still trying to figure out, like, the purpose of your existence, um, then see this parable this morning as that emergency alert test that got sent out to everybody, right? It's, it's being sent out to all of God's people this morning. To quote Richard Baxter, God has more for you to do in this life than merely securing salvation. How about that? You know, the culture of American revivalism that has said, look, all you got to do, you just get saved, get saved, get saved, get saved. That's all you got to worry about. It's, it's, I guess, suppose good in one way, but that's just... That's just scratching the surface. What we see in the gospel is if you have been saved, then the gospel message has been entrusted to you to follow and to live out of and to invest. And you may think, look, man, I don't want to be in ministry. Look, that, that, that is taking a pagan view of, of this sacred secular divide. Um, but here is, listen to what Abraham Kuyper said. And this is a very Calvinistic way of approaching life. He says, There is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence, commerce, music, sport, culture, over which Christ does not cry, mine. 
which means there aren't Christian and non-Christian jobs. It's not Sunday is God's time and the rest of the week is my time. (laughs) No, it, it all belongs to Jesus. And in this parable, Jesus says, I'm going away for a little while. Now, now I'm coming back, but while I'm away, I'm entrusting my servants, my people, to engage in kingdom business in their lives. So, I mean, talk about a paradigm shift, right? He's saying, if you are a follower of Christ, then whatever you do, you are called to, to do so for the Lord. That whether we know it or not, what we do in this life has eternal significance. And now, I don't I don't think we're going to get to, to heaven and we're going to complain about what we... I don't think anybody's going to complain in heaven. Um, but uh, apparently not everyone will have the same. Um, and to unpack this, in this parable, Jesus tells us about three different groups of people, which is how we'll, we'll work through this. Uh, first, and just briefly, he talks about the citizens, or we could call them the rebels. Uh, these are the ones, they just flat out rejected Jesus, Right? They hated him, but they didn't go quiet in their hatred. They, they joined forces, and they staged protest, and, and they cry out saying, we don't want Jesus to be our king. We want things our way. And in Scripture, we see that to those, uh, ultimately God will say, okay, have it your way. Right? This Wednesday night, Brian Finnegan and Walter uh, Watson, Watson Pillar are cooking hamburgers. T-Mac walks up talking about how he wants his special, his special hamburger cooked. And Brian just said, hey, look, you can go to Burger King, because that ain't happening here. Um, if you want it your way, um, that's not happening with God, right? You may have to go to Burger King or some spiritual version of Burger King. In The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis said, there are two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. And what's beautiful about the gospel here is that that cosmically, in and of ourselves, we are rebels, right? Like we we are natural-born God haters. And yet in Christ, we're not only forgiven and loved, but we who are rebels are pulled in and we're adopted in as as family. So rebels. Uh, The second group of people here uh, are what is called the wicked. And look, there's full disclosure, there's a lot of debate with scholars over the fact or the possibility, are these people legit believers who just bear minimal fruit and kind of like in a mustard seed faith fashion, they are saved? Or if Jesus is talking about people we would call nominal Christians, these people who, who call themselves Christians, uh, they're probably a member of a church, but their actual lives betray something else, right? And so Jesus was always talking about how the sheep and goats kind of grow up together and the wheat and the, the weeds grow together in the same field. And often it's hard for us to know what's what or who's who. But Jesus knows, and he tells us one day, look, he, he'll sort that out. Don't worry, he, he's going to sort it out. But what's sobering here is notice what Jesus considered wicked. This may be, this may be point of the day. Um, because I read through this thing a lot this week, thinking surely, surely he's going to say something else. Surely he'd say something about, you know, this is people who listen to heavy metal are wicked. Or surely it's those people that cuss and chew and go with girls who do. Surely they are the wicked ones. But no. Like this, this is someone who received the mina, 
something that was intended to be used, right, to be invested, and they were so afraid to lose it, so afraid to fail, that they just wrapped it up and they hid it away. And of course, you know, working through this, the first issue is that they have a false understanding of their king, right? Um, you know, if, if they think, or if we think Jesus is hard, and Jesus is miserly, then, then we haven't the foggiest idea of who he is. That Jesus is the friend of sinners. That like, even at your very worst, like, he comes to you, right? God loves his people with a prodigal love. He doling out grace upon grace upon grace to his people. And so we see in Scripture that it's totally appropriate to fear God with awe, right? For awe-inspiring worship. But if we're afraid, we don't understand the gospel that in Christ, God is your good, good Father. So it's experiencing God's love for us, right? That empowers us to actually risk it, right? You know, empowers us to do something only because of Jesus' love for us. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done something purely because of God's love for you? Um, if it empowers us to run towards the broken and to push back against the darkness in our areas of life for our King. And I'll just be totally honest. I, like naturally, like apart from the gospel in me, if it was just like Richard without the gospel, um, I would tend towards keeping the status quo. Um, <laughs> no need to risk anything, okay? Um, I, I could very easily see myself becoming the old guard that everybody talks about. And I'd say, look, look, we've got our Mina. We've got our one Mina, and I don't, we don't want to lose it. You know, this is how we've done it the past 40 years, and by golly, that's how we're going to keep doing it for the next 40 years because it's safe and it works. And this is so convicting, is it not? I mean, especially to Presbyterians, because we, we really want to steward the gospel with fidelity, right? It's so important that we, like, we, we hold this robust gospel up. But we can also tend to err on the side of safety sometimes, right? You know, because of the fall, we can have this desire for control. And we can desire control so that there can be very little faith aspect in our life. Um, we don't have to trust God when we've bubble wrapped our entire life. You know, you don't have to. And now we'll acknowledge, obviously, that God has given us something to steward, and yet we can get so caught up in, in not wanting to screw it up that our stewarding becomes more about avoiding loss. Let's just don't, don't mess it up. More about avoiding loss than it does about our lives and our congregation actually like burning up for God's glory. I mean, how many Christians approach life like this that we steward kind of in fear? That we just want to avoid doing something wrong. We stay safe so that we can say, look, God, I I'm returning this exactly as you gave it to me. Not even a scratch. So I, I, I like watching um, YouTube videos about guitar collectors. Okay, so And, and all these people, very wealthy people, awesome guitar collections, and they take such pride in keeping them in this pristine condition. Like they are like vaulted up, not a scratch. They're immaculate, not a scratch on these things. And I'm watching this, I'm like, man, that is so sad. Because musical instruments are meant to be played, right? I mean, like, what, what good is it doing being in immaculate shape? It's meant to be played. Okay, the gospel is meant to be lived out. 
It's meant to be shared. Like, like we can think, well, that's how you steward something, right? You, you become a museum worker and you uh, curate it, right? You, you be real careful and not take any risk. Like, like we call that being wise, and yet here, when it comes to the gospel, God calls that wicked. And the irony is that playing it safe is the most reckless thing you can do with the gospel. You know, our kids learn that, you know, probably better than we do. From a young age, they sing, what, hide it under a bushel? Yes. What do you do? No, right? Like, it's, it's meant to shine. It's meant to be shared. It's meant to be played, okay? Which then brings us then to our third group of people, the faithful servants, Alistair Begg reminds us that there, there are two great mistakes that we can make when it comes to a life of faith. The first mistake is thinking that we can get to heaven by our good works, right? And I think we pretty well got that, right? That um, we can't do enough good to earn our salvation. Gospel's pretty clear that we are saved by God's grace alone or we are not saved. Okay, but, but then the, the second mistake that we can make in this life of faith is then thinking that we can get to heaven without good works. I know you're like, what? Um, Listen to how Paul put it. Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. So no one may boast. So that's the first principle, right? But then listen to the very next verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we see that if we are saved, we are saved by faith alone. But after salvation, that faith is never alone, right? Faith and or fruit and works come out. So engaging in kingdom business then, uh, it means stewarding the gospel. It doesn't mean playing it safe. It's that upside-down nature of the kingdom that we're always seeing. That Jesus says that the best way to, if you, if you want to lose your life, um, you try to keep it. That's the quickest way to lose something is by trying to keep it. But he said to save your life is to lose it. You know, to give your life away is to actually receive it. Which means the best way to steward the gospel is to give the gospel away. Is to invest our Invest the gospel with our words and with our lives. You know, there's, there's an element, right, of stewarding as a Christian that we find in that very famous Theodore Roosevelt speech. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Well, Roosevelt was just tapping into this principle, right? That, that stewarding faithfully, it means risking it. 
to this, Greg Gilbert points out how we may talk about, well, you're supposed to have wisdom, right? Well, wisdom keeps us from being foolish, but foolishness and risk are not the same thing. He notes that risk is doing something when the outcome is unknown or uncertain, but foolishness is doing something when the outcome is known. <laughs> you know it's not a good idea, but you do it anyway. Okay? The goal of the Christian life is not to not mess up. No, it's about walking by faith, trusting that God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he's going to do. And so Jesus then, he closes this out with that principle, I'll tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. All right. What do we do with this? Um, you know, if, if we're called to until Jesus returns, if he calls us to steward and invest the gospel with our lives, how's, how's that going? How's that going for us? Um, you know, as you think about, maybe you think about that today, as you're thinking about how's this whole stewardship thing going in our lives. William Carey, who as you know is a famous pioneering missionary to India, and look, if anybody engaged in kingdom business, it was William Carey. And yet, listen to what he wrote to his son in a letter. He wrote, I am this day 58 years old, but how little I have done for God. You know, I think it's very normal for us to, you know, for all of us, to, even if we're killing it, to say in the grand scheme, we're doing very little for God. And if William Carey said that, then what about us? And yet, even there, even though we may feel guilt over our failures and our blown opportunities, it's also right here. Like This is where the gospel comes to play. Did you know that before the gospel is worked out in our lives, it, it first needs to be worked into our lives, right? Which means the easiest way for us to steward and invest the gospel is merely to believe it. And then rest in it. Just you. To believe it and rest in it. In a world that tells you to join the rat race, like it's to not buy the lie that you are the sum of your accomplishments. And you are not the sum of your failures. You know, we live in a world that says, shame, shame, know your name. Right? But it's to first and foremost rest in what Jesus has accomplished for you. It's to know that in Christ, you are accepted by your Creator. Okay, And he has, well, the only one who ultimately matters has an opinion of you. You are the beloved. And he has called you to come to him and to rest in his work, his righteousness, his freedom, and his peace. And y'all like Zacchaeus, if by grace we just get that, then as sure as sparks fly upward, more stewardship, right? engaging in more kingdom business will follow. Amen? Amen. Well, let me pray for us. Now, Father, thank you that you don't leave us here uh, purposeless or um, without any, any task. But, Lord, you give us this noble and high task, and yet it's a task that's unfinished, to steward the gospel. Uh, so, Lord, help us to believe it. And to really rest in it. 
and then by your spirit for it to just be so anchored into our souls that it actually affects uh, how we do life. Uh, Lord, give us uh, a, a desire to, to steward the gospel by faith. Uh, so Lord, give us strength and give us your grace. Uh, Lord, thank you for our Savior. And we ask this in his strong name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.